Hello everyone, my name is Brian Sparks and I'm the lead pastor at One Church in Texas. This is the One Church Podcast. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. I pray that this message encourages you and that in our time together you encounter Jesus and that your life will never be the same. All right. Excited to be at One Church today and uh, love um, Pastor Brian, Pastor Crystal so much. Uh, got lots of history over here. No, knew uh, Pastor Brian um, when he had hair, bless God. And so, and so uh, when he was uh, 14 and 15 years old and uh, had a, a lot of fun. We, our church uh, sowed into the, the planting of this church. Our oldest son served on the launch team playing the guitar and so we've just got a lot of shared history. You at Sulphur Springs, we our youth group slept on your floor in that building multiple times on our way to, to, to camp. And so um, we just feel very much connected, very a part of, uh, of one church. So thankful to have my wife here today. And so it's a blessing. Uh, we've, this uh, next month, we'll be married 30 years. That's right. Yeah. I know it looks like I got married at five years old, but, you know, I, I didn't. And she does look like she got married at five years old. So, and um, so, but yeah, and we have uh, seven kiddos, uh, two grandbabies we get to hold, and two we get to hold next year. So they're still cooking. So we're, ex- we're, we're ex- so uh, excited. Life is full. Um, well, this morning, um, I want to tell you a story, walk you through a story about a guy named Obed-Edom. He's one of my favorite kind of lesser-known people in the scriptures. Takes three books of the Bible and 230 years to cover his story. I will cover it faster than that this morning. And so, but um, it has just uh, uh, been a blessing in my life, and I'm prayerful that it'll be a blessing in yours. Um, but his whole story, we're just going to get to the end right now. We're just going to tell you up front. His whole story is this, is that you can welcome the presence of God into your home and it changes everything. It changes everything when you welcome the presence of God into your home. You do realize God's everywhere, right? He, he's there with you all the time. But there's a different place when you're conscious of the presence, when you are welcoming of the presence, when it's being included in the thoughts and the processes and everything that's taking place, it, it transforms things. And there are certain things that when you do them, um, you can isolate their impact. You can isolate their effect that you can just say, okay, we're going to do this and it just impacts this space. But there are other things um, that you do that they, they can't be isolated. They just impact every other thing in your life. And as much as sometimes we would want to mess with a little thing in our lives and say, I just want this to be over here in this space and it not impact my marriage. I just want to be able to toy around over here and it not impact my children or my family or those different types of things. And there's just certain things you, you just can't, you, they can't be isolated. They have ripple effects. They get in and, and they impact everything. And, and that's why we, we've got to be mindful. That's why Pastor Brian and Pastor Crystal teach you how to walk in the way God wants you because you're making decisions 
that impacts so many different things, whether you know it or not. And they love you and they care about you and your children and, they, and they're teaching you and training you to be able to, to be mindful of what's on your mind, to be conscious of your decisions. Why? Because they know it impacts so many different things. But there are also other decisions, praise God, in the, in the kingdom of God that, that they on the good side, that they, you begin to make these decisions, you begin to make these actions and they don't happen in an isolated space. They begin to find their way and impact so many different things, so many different spaces. And as we get into the life of Obed-Edom, we're gonna see that there's some decisions you can make that just infiltrate everything, that just impact everything. I learned this lesson the hard way years and years ago. I got the uh, opportunity to get my private pilot's license. I'm not current anymore. I can't fly anymore. Uh, so don't ask me to fly you somewhere. I can't do it. And um, after this story, you won't want me to anyways. And so, uh, but I, I got my license years ago. I was a youth pastor and I um, had a, an assistant youth pastor that worked with me. He had never flown. He had never been in a plane at all. And so I was like, hey, come on, Moses, I'm going to take you up. We're, we're going we're to fly. And so go out and get in the little plane I flew, which is just a little high-wing Cessna 172, if you're familiar with aircraft, just a basic little four-place plane. And so we go up flying around, and you know, once you get off the ground and you're a couple of thousand feet up in the air, you don't feel the speed. You just kind of feel like you're just kind of floating, and it's, it kind of loses its luster after about 20 minutes, and you're just kind of up there. And so I decided to, to show him some, some of the few things, you know, that I, my, my little tricks. I don't have many tricks. And so I decided to show him something, and I was like, all right, Moses, we're going to do some dips. And so I'd, you know, get the plane into a little bit of a climb, and then just hammer it over, and then you just float for a minute over the, woo, you know, and you just float for a minute. And so we did that, and it freaked him out, so I wanted to do it more. And so, so I was like, all right, well, we'll do this. I said, I put my logbook up on the, the dash, and I was like, watch this. So I'd do it, and then the logbook would just, you know, you get zero gravity, you know, simulated, and so the logbook just floats in the air as we're going, and so it just kind of hovering out there, and it looked really cool. You know, he'd grab it out of the air. It was just a cool thing, so did that a couple of times, and, and I noticed it just kept getting, like, close to his head, and I was like, man, Moses, I've never tried this. I wonder if I can float the logbook over your head and put it in the back seat. That would just be pretty killer. That'd be a pretty awesome trick. And I was like, let's try this. And so, so I got it into a bigger climb, got it right on the edge of a stall, and then just, bam, just hammered it over as much as I could. We start going down, and that log book was floating, 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 got it right above his head. And all of a sudden, the motor quit running. It just silence. It's the worst silence in the world. And I freaked out immediately, pulled the plane back into a level. And then thankfully, the, 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 the engine was still windmilling. Everything was still going. And it, boom, it just started going again. And what I had not calculated, I had not thought, was that I was in a high-wing airplane. It didn't have standard fuel pump. It let gravity pull the fuel down to the engine. While I was having fun with the logbook, sitting there floating it, I didn't think that I was floating my fuel at the exact same time. That I was sitting there and I was thinking, I'd be able to play with this and 
it not impact something else, something that was essential to us being able to have a successful journey, to be able to get back down. I, I wasn't thinking about the fact that that decision impacted this other decision. And it, it just does. But praise God, we're going to get to see as we get into the life of Obed-Edom. There's a moment of the decision that Obed-Edom makes. And he doesn't do it on purpose. He doesn't know. But his heart being open and embracing the presence of God in his home changed everything. It changed everything. Let's go ahead and let's jump into uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 1. Okay? Got to set the stage before we read verse... Uh, um, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, uh, before we read that. And um, we're about to get into the space where King David is ready to bring the Ark of the Covenant into its proper place in Jerusalem, okay? King David's predecessor, King Saul, he didn't kind of do things right a lot, um, didn't really follow God well, and and um, kind of made a rash decision to take the Ark of the Covenant that was holy and begin to weaponize it and try to use it for his own personal gain in battle. And all of a sudden we see the dangers of weaponizing God. And he carries it into battle and they lose the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines take the Ark and take it captive. And Israel was distraught. And Israel was just in a wreck. And, and the Philistines had the Ark for a few months. And they have some bad experiences with it. They decided, we don't want this anymore. They sent it back. And then it just camped at a house of a person named Abinadab. And it just stayed there for a few decades. It stayed there a long time. And it had been in the house of Abinadab. And David's like, this is the presence of God. The God is the God of, of Israel. It needs to be in its proper place in Jerusalem. This, this is an atrocity. Let's fix this. And David is decided to fix it when we catch up here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. It says, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel. About 30,000. So he got the one college students together. And he's like, we're going to get the young people. And we're going to go down here. And he and all his men went to Baal in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim of the ark. God didn't live inside a box. He never lived inside of a pretty gold box. But he would meet with them between. He was, his presence would show up in a special way between the cherubim and, and dwelled in that space. And, and they set the ark of God on a new cart. On a new cart. Let's pay attention. They set it on a new cart. And, and they brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ohio was walking in front of it. Okay, we're going to pause the story right here, um, because if you were raised in church, you've been around church for a little while, maybe went to Sunday school, maybe you've read the entire Bible a couple of times, um, then there's some things we're reading, they're little, little red flags for you. You're just like, oh, no, 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 danger, 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 this, this is not good. Um, now, not, not all of us 
have been around church all our lives. Not all of us know some of the backstory here. So we're just going to make sure we've all, we're all caught up. Because the red flag is they're, they're, they're putting the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart. Now that sounds good. Like, okay, this is holy. This is amazing. Like we're going to, instead of putting it in the back of Bubba's pickup and we're just going to sweep it out real quick and, and get all the, the, the deer corn out and, and wash out the blood from the, yesterday's hunt. Um, you know, no, they're like, no, we're going down and we're getting a brand new F-250 and we're going to have it. Nothing's ever been in the best. It sounds like a place of reverence. It, it sounds like a good idea. We'll get a brand new cart. But had they paid attention to the scriptures, it says over and over and over again that the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was supposed to be carried by the Levites. It was supposed to be carried by people. It foreshadowed you and I having the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of us carrying the presence of God everywhere we go. It foreshadowed that, that God never wanted to be mechanized. God never wanted to say, okay, when we can figure out some sort of system, some sort of cart, we can stick it into some sort of automation and now people are able to make access to the presence of God. God said, no, I'm always gonna be carried by my people, always. And so it should have been a little red flag. Should have been a little red flag that, that they've got a new cart because it's not the model. It's not the way they did it. So why? Why would the people of Israel, why would they choose to do a new cart? Where on earth did they get an idea to use a new cart? Well, we're going to go back to that moment we mentioned when Saul let the Philistines get a hold of the Ark of the Covenant. And now we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. It says, when the Ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months, so they'd had it for just a short period of time, and then they had some bad experiences with things were not good, had infestations of rats, they started getting tumors, they freaked out, it's like, this is bad, let's get this out of here, let's get this away, let's return to sender, we do not want this anymore. And verse 7 And so the king had made this declaration. He says, now then, get a new cart ready. He don't know. He's not a Levi. He's not a child of God. He doesn't know. He just knows we got to get this out of here. And so we're going to be reverential. We're going to treat it special. We're not going to sweep out Bubba's truck. We're going to get a brand new cart. We're going to stick this in the back of this new cart. And then with two cows that have been calved and have never been yoked, hitch the cows to the cart and then take the calves away and put them in a pen. So like, okay, a mama cow, she doesn't want to be separated from her calf. And so it's like, if these cows actually walk away, there's something bigger at work here, okay? Where there's something bigger. They're setting the stage for it. It has to be God who's making this take place. It says, and take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart And in a chest beside it, put the gold objects that you're sending back as a guilt offering and send it on its way. And that's how the Ark of the Covenant returned into the possession of the people of Israel. It stumbled its way in 
in the back of a brand new cart. They saw on the horizon, they're all working in their fields, and here come these two cows pulling this cart, and it is the ark of the covenant. It is the ark of God. And they were so elated, and they were so excited, and and they kind of go too far, and they do some wrong things, and some people die, and Saul freaks out and sticks it at Abinadab's house, and we don't hear about it again for decades. We don't hear about it again for decades. But this new cart, this new cart was the idea of some people who had rejected the presence of God. They had rejected the presence of God. For some reason, David and the people of Israel let people who rejected God model how to connect with God. That's just, we, we can't do that, folks. You and I, we will always end up in a ditch. We will always end up messed up if we let a culture that has rejected God tell us how to connect with God. We cannot let a culture that wants nothing to do with him tell us how to interact with him. And they'll always do it. They're like, man, you, you feel like you, 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 you pray about everything. You're just taking this Jesus stuff way too crazy. You're like, well, you don't even care about God. What does it matter to you? Oh, you're, man, you're, you're, you're just, your generosity, you're just, you're just giving too much. You're giving too much to the kingdom. You know you could do this with that money. You know what happened if you stuck that in a savings account. Do you know this? Don't you dare. You've rejected God. Don't tell me what to do in my worship with God. Don't tell me that it's wrong for me to, to not go to the soccer matches on Sunday morning and to not sow into that. When I said, no, I'm going to raise my children in the house of the Lord. I'm going to have my... Don't let a culture that has rejected God, tell you how to interact with God. And David and the people of Israel did. They took their cues from a culture that had said, we want nothing to do with that. And so now, now we pick up back into a space in verse five. And David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets and harps and lyres and timbrels and sistrums and cymbals. They had the worship team going. They had Candace up there with her tambourine. They're pounding now, man. They're worshiping. Everybody's rocking it out. They're, they're excited. They're excited. It is a festive environment, but they've made a crucial poor decision. They have let in that thing that looks like the right kind of worship, let a culture speak into it that didn't honor God. And they're moving forward. It says, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Remember, Uzzah was the son of Abinadab. Uzzah grew up with the ark at his house for decades. But we never heard anything for decades. We never heard anything about Abinadab, his house, his household. We never heard anything. The Ark of the Covenant of God was at his house for decades. And we never hear anything. But we're about to see a transfer of location and a different response to the presence and a different outcome. Because here, the guy who should have been trained should have known above everybody else, how to interact with God. He interacts wrong. His daddy said it was okay that the presence of God went in his home, but did not disciple his children 
on how to interact with the presence of God. Just said, it's fine. It can camp here. It's all right. But didn't welcome the presence of God. And so Uzzah, he reaches out, touches the ark because the oxen stumbled. It seems reasonable. Seems reasonable act. But see, the Ark of the Covenant, that thing was not supposed to be touched itself. The priest carried it with these poles. The priest carried it with that, and that's what their hands touched. And, and the, the, actual, the actual box itself, they, they weren't supposed to touch. And he reaches out, and he touches it. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. And therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the Ark of God. And then David was angry. Because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever, ever come to me? It's like, and now he looks forward in his life and he's like, I don't see any way I can have a connection with this ever. How can it ever come to me? That is his immediate response. King David's immediate response after seeing that is like, there, there's no way in my future I'm ever going to have this, this be able to come to me. Yeah. In verse 10, he says, and he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire the Lord blessed him. Abinadab had it for decades. We hear nothing. Obed-Edom had it for three months. Yes. And every, it says it blessed everything in his household. Everything. Not just he was a little more cheery. He was able to have a little better attitude when everything went wrong. When all of a sudden when the septic system backs up, he's all right. He got a little bit of, a little bit of Holy Ghost and going to be okay. No, everything in his, in his whole world was blessed. And it was blessed in a way that it was noticeable. People were able to see it. And in three months, his testimony transformed in three months. It doesn't have to take three years for God to do his work in you. It doesn't have to take uh, all of this different time. God can do a work in you that is noticeable to everybody that comes in contact with you in a short period of time. This is less than a college school semester. And all of a sudden, his life, his, the definition of who he is is transformed. Everything is shifted. And the truth is, is Obed-Edom's blessed life and inspired others to pursue the presence of God. Obed-Edom's life. Let David know that there was more to gain than to fear from the presence of God in the ark. It transformed. Watching King David, watching this guy who just happened to live close by where a tragedy happened. All of a sudden, his response, Obed-Edom's response, changed King David's attitude. The guy who said, I can never all of a sudden says, now I can. The people who said, there's no way I can be in the presence of God saw it on his life and says, no, I think I can. There are people who think that God will never love them, never care for them, never be accessible to them. And they see the hand of God on your life and go, you know what? I think it's possible. 
I think it's possible. I know their story. I know what they've been through. And if God can do that in them, well, maybe I can approach. Maybe I can step forward. Maybe all of a sudden there's hope for me yet. That is what your testimony is about. That is what God is wanting to do through your life. And, and it changed King David's mind. It changed his mind. In verse 11, we, go re, we want to reread this. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. For three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told. He was told. It began, the people close to Obed-Edom began to notice a little change. They began to talk about it. It got to somebody else. It got to somebody else. And finally, someone who had the ear of the king said, the king needs to know about this. This is so evident. This is so amazing. That the king needs to know about. Now, we don't know exactly what happens, okay? We don't know what happens. His investments all of a sudden turned over and they just went out of control. You know, you know everybody else is losing money in the stock market and all, all of a sudden, nobody eating it. All his stuff is going crazy. All of a sudden, his sheep had quadruplets and there's like just sheep all over the place. You know, we, we don't know if all of a sudden his wayward son all of a sudden started, t- turned around and he's the star, star student. He's, he's, he's leading the class. We don't know what happened. All we know is it touched everything. It touched everything and it got the attention of the king and the king gets told about it. And he gets told this, the Lord has blessed the household. The household. Not just Obed-Edom. It says household. His family. His family. I know you as mom and dad. You as grandma and grandpa. More than I want someone to say. I noticed the hand of God on Brandon Clark. I want people to notice the hand of God on the household of Brandon Clark. I want people to see on the generations. There's no higher compliment. Someone that loves God that can see, I see God's hand on your household. And that was the testimony of somebody to the king, that his whole household, the household of it, and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. He didn't do it reluctantly. Oh, well, better do this. Can't let that dude hoard it all. No, he was just pumped. He was excited. There was joy in his heart. It transformed David's attitude. He went from I can never to now he's like, oh, I've got to. I've got to step into the presence of God. I've got to pursue this. It changed it. Why? Because Obed-Edom, he was a worshiper and he pursued the presence of God. He pursued the presence of God. As you continue to read there, that account of David now going to bring the Ark of the, of the Covenant back into the presence of God. He does it right. He sets it on the shoulders of the people. They make the sacrifices along the way. And David, that's the moment. Obed-Edom's inspiration is the moment for we get from, from that King David begins to worship so intently, so strong that he begins to lose his outer garment, the thing that he identifies as king. He begins to shed that. He sheds the next layer of clothing as he begins to worship. Pretty soon we see David. He's down in it. He's in his chonis. He's just worshiping. Ticks his wife off. 
She's like, you, you're worshiping like that in front of the maidens of Israel. He said, woman, I'm going to get even more undignified than this. And this is just the beginning of me setting aside my, my kingly title and saying, I know it's not that I'm a, I am the king. It's I'm here to worship the king. I'm here to be his. I want to be identified as a worshiper. And that is what shifted and transferred everything. We see here in First Chronicles chapter 15. We see here that we have Shebaniah and Jehoshaphat and, and Nathaniel and Amasiah and Zechariah and Benaiah and Eliezer, the priests. They're to blow the trumpets before the ark of God. And Obed-Edom and Jehiah were also to be doorkeepers for the ark. Obed-Edom changed his location. He moved to Jerusalem. He said, wherever the presence of God is going, that's where I'm going to go. If the presence of God moves, I'm moving with it. He had said no. He had welcomed. He had said no. It's not just okay if it happens to show up. I'll be all right with it. He said, no, I'm following it. I'm going with it. I'm pursuing it. And it, he, it changed the generations. It changed the generations. We move on to 1 Chronicles 16.5. It says, Aphis was the, the chief and Zechariah second and then Jael and uh, Shemir Moth and Jeh- Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliah, Benaiah, Obed-Edom and Gael. And they were to play the lyres and the harps and Aphis was to sound the cymbals. We see Obed-Edom becoming a part of the worship team. He made sure people were able to come in and enjoy the presence, whether it was opening a door, playing an instrument. Obed-Edom joined the dream team. Obed-Edom said, you know what? This has changed my household. I'm going to make it as easy as possible to change somebody else's household. I'm going to change the atmosphere. I'm going to stand at the door and I'm going to open it if it's a hundred and stupid outside or if it is freezing outside and I'm going to stand there and I'm going to say, tell people God's got something for you today. All of a sudden worship starts out there before they ever hit the keys, before they ever strum a chord. Why? Because somebody got impacted by the presence of God. And we see Obed-Edom's life of service and worship. It created a legacy for his family. In 1 Chronicles 26, see that all these were the descendants of Obed-Edom. They and their sons and their relatives were capable men with the strength to do the work. Descendants of Obed-Edom, 62 in all at this point. It wasn't just him. It wasn't just his wife. It wasn't just his children. It was his grandchildren. It was the lineage. They were there in the middle of it. And then we jump into 2 Chronicles. And we jump 230 years down the line. 230 years down the line. He says, and he, he took all the gold and the silver and all the articles found in the temple of God that had been in the care of Obed-Edom. Now, he's not 230 years old. No, his family was called by his name. His descendants, 230 years later, were the ones entrusted with the things of worship, with the, with the entrusted with the valuable things. 230 years later, his descendants were still serving God, still entrusted by the nation, still doing it for generation after generation. It's wonderful for you to have a, have a vision for your children to serve God. But I dare you that if Jesus tarries, believe that 200 years later, those who carry your name are going to be carrying the presence. 
They're going to be moving forward, making a difference. Obed-Edom shows us that welcoming the presence of God can change the generations. And that change, it happens with welcoming the presence of God. At some point, somebody knocked on Obed-Edom's door. He said, we got to put this ark somewhere. He says, put it in my house. Put it in my house. I welcome it. Scriptures tell us that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Stands at the door of your heart and knocks. And I want to create a quiet moment in this space because the generations get transformed when it starts with us. So if you're here this morning and you're ready to place your faith in Jesus, not a church, not a religious system, not trying harder and doing better, but place your faith in the God who gave himself up for you, who died, rose again to give you life, the the one whose presence wants to come in and transform you, not demand that you transform yourself, but to come in and like for Obed-Edom, change everything in you. But you gotta say yes to that knock on your heart. If you're here this morning, and ready to say yes to that. I want you to just slip your hand up and we're going to pray. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Praise God. Yes, yes. Believers, I I want you to just pray with these as I just load some words and say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus, that he died for me. He rose for me. And I believe that. Today, you're my father. Heaven is my home. And I give you permission to transform me from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank y'all so much for letting me be with you today. Thank you so much for listening to this message. A special thanks to those who give generously to One Church. It's because of you that lives are being impacted all over the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit subscribe for more messages like this. Share this with a friend, post it on social media, and be sure to tag us at I Am One Church. Thanks again for listening.